As we've been, uh, as we've been emphasizing generosity uh, over the last couple of weeks and for the next couple of weeks, uh, I've had uh, a couple of people say, I want to give a testimony. Now, if you want to make your pastor's heart jump for joy, you should say those words. <laughs> and what's really beautiful um, is testimony usually comes from a place where we want to tell. We want to give a witness as to what God's been doing in our lives. Um, so this week, uh, Jennifer Burkhart um, is uh, going to come and share a testimony with me. And this, I want to say three or four months ago, unconnected with stewardship, uh, Jennifer said to me, I need to give a testimony. And I said, why? I, I know it's not the right question to ask, but I asked it anyways, right? And she said, because throughout the pandemic, God's just really taken care of the preschool. And I said, yeah, that's a great story we need to tell. So please welcome Jennifer Burkhart. She comes to share with us this morning. Good morning. I'm thankful to be here this morning to give my testimony. I did not grow up in a church household. In fact, I grew up far from a religious family. My childhood was not your typical childhood. My mother had me at 18, and my grandparents were a big part of helping raise me. When my mother married my biological father, we looked like your typical happy family. But on, in, on the inside, behind closed doors, it wasn't that. I was watching my mom get physically abused, something no child should have to witness. But I was one of the lucky ones in a way that my mom was able to leave that environment. She was that single mom for the longest time until she married this wonderful man that I actually called dad. But when I was in seventh grade, he was on a business trip and he never made that business meeting. That morning, they went to do a well check on him. They found he had passed away in a seizure in his sleep in the hotel. Losing a parent is never easy for any kid. My mom continued once again as the strong woman she was and eventually married the man she's with today. I don't call him dad. because the last man that I called dad passed away. But everyone knows he's the man that raised me. He helped put me through college. He walked me down the aisle. And today, if you ask him who his favorite daughter is, he'll say me. Now, just within the past year, because of a sermon here at Chapelwood, I have forgiven my biological father for what he has done. Now, I haven't forgotten, but what I've learned here at Chapelwood is that if something happens tomorrow to him, am I okay? Now I can say yes. When Adam and I married in 2010, we were not part of a church. We always had the agreement that when we started a family, we would begin our search for our church home. We went and visited numerous church churches in Lake Jackson before we decided to come visit Chapelwood. Our very first visit, and many of you can probably guess who was that first person to greet us. Mr. Ran. 
just as many of us greet the first-time visitors after service is over. Turan came over to us, and she said something special to us. She said she would leave the breadcrumbs for us to find our way back. The next Sunday that we came back, she came to us, and she told us, I see you found the breadcrumbs that I left you. Duran continued to be a special part of our family, even to where her daughters continued to be a big part of our family as well. Myra and Carolyn were the first to invite me to a Sunday school class. In fact, it was at Myra's house, and that was the perfect class for me to start to take that next step. As now, I'm with my husband, we're leading our own Sunday school class. I'm for, forever grateful that, for that time together as it helped me grow in faith. This past year has been crazy, has been a crazy one for me, just as it has been for many of you. I could not have gotten through the past year without the knowledge of prayer that Chapelwood has provided me and taught me through my years here. In February, my grandma had gotten sick. And like I said before, my grandparents were a big part of raising me. She had gotten sick and we were called to her bedside. Her last two requests from me was to pick out her scriptures for her funeral and to speak of them during her funeral. And then after, that, when she was gone, to make sure that I took care of my mother because she was going to need me more than ever. I prayed and prayed on direction and what scripture to use for this because what no one realized was just a couple short weeks before that, on my evaluation here at Chapelwood, I put that one of my goals was to learn scripture more to help better serve my children and families here at Chapelwood Preschool. When it was time for my grandmother's funeral, I was able to get up there and read that scripture. But I couldn't have done that or chosen those scriptures and known the true meanings of those scriptures without the lessons that Chapelwood has provided for me and the tools to pray because I'm not a public speaker. In fact, I don't like to talk in public at all. <laughs> when I needed strength the most, there was one scripture that I kept going to, to give me that strength. And that was Joshua chapter one, verse nine. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I needed to hear those words over and over again to remind me that he was going to be with me through it all and when I needed him the most. In January of this year, I lost my father-in-law after a long battle with cancer. So not only at this time did I have to grieve myself, but also stay strong for my husband and my daughter. Because just six years ago, Adam lost his brother to cancer. So you can only imagine the anger and emotions in our household. But I knew that he was in a better place, and he was completely healed now and having the best time with his son. But it still doesn't make it any easier. Now, while Addie may have lost another big male role model in her life, I know she's okay because of the men here at Chapelwood that can step up and be there when she needs it most. Like Mr. Lonnie. Addie has loved Mr. Lonnie from the very beginning as we used to always sit right behind him and his family at church, and they would pick on each other throughout the service and even during the sermon. 
When we were not sitting behind Mr. Lonnie and the family um, pre-COVID, when we would all still get up and greet each other and hug, um, Addie would always make it a point to run over there to make sure she gave Mr. Lonnie a hug or a high five. She loved Mr. Lonnie. And I say loved because one night during Cookies and Carols, he had Addie in his lap and was bouncing her. And the next thing you know, he drops her. <laughs> and well, Lonnie, she's never been the same since. <laughs> I'm kidding, she still loves you today. But I say that story as just one of the many role models she can look up to and know she can go to if she needs anything. And to me, that is one of the many blessings of Chapelwood. This past February, I lost a coworker the wonderful lady that I shared an office with. When I got that text message from Ms. Nelda's husband that morning, I immediately went to prayer. I went to prayer in my bathroom for strength to talk with my staff and my families and just to make it through the day because my staff and families were gonna need me the most. The hardest part for me during that time was trying to go back in my office and do work. When I knew the lady and my friend was no longer gonna be sitting next to me or sharing the same place as me. When it was time for me to clean out her desk, I knew it had to be me and no one else could th go through it. And let me tell you, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I was lucky to have Pastor Peter and Anthony in there with me so we could laugh and cry all together. When it was time, I made the contact to her husband. And Pastor Peter and I agreed that we would ride over together to give, her, give him the box of her belongings. But he decided to show up to work that day instead. And Pastor Peter was out doing ministry. So here I was doing it by myself. That's not something they teach you in college, by the way. So I had to go into the exact thing Chapelwood has taught me, and that is to pray. I went back to that Joshua 1. When I went back in to see him, I went out to my car, I prayed for strength and courage, went to see him, and I was able to have a long, good, long, hard conversation with him without any tears. And it was like Nelda was there with us. Even though we lost someone wonderful in the ministry of the preschool, something beautiful came out of it. And that's a beautiful children's library where children can go in and check out books to take home. And there's nothing more beautiful than literacy at an early age. Chapelwood's vision has been raising a generation in faith. Some people may see that as raising our young children, but what I see is Chapelwood equipping all ages that walk through those doors with what we need to take our next steps and journey with faith. Thank you for loving me and my family and helping me take that next step. I only hope to be the true disciples as those that have given me what I needed 
and leave those breadcrumbs for someone else just as they were left for me. Thank you. Please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, there is something about Scripture that stirs us awake. When we hear of a deep love that made room for everyone at the table, we remember that we are hungry. And when we hear of manna raining down in the desert, we remember that we are lost. There is something about Scripture that stirs us awake, and it feels like hunger, and it looks like hope. So stir us awake, O God. Remind us that this story starts with love and ends with love. We are hungry, which is to say we are listening. Amen. Our message today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. Hear these words. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want to remind you again, we're in the midst of that generosity emphasis. Now, for those of you who've been going to church for a long time, like myself, you want me to say the word stewardship, which I'm, I'm happy to say it. But I also want to remind us that that stewardship piece is really about generosity. It, um, I heard uh, one person say that the definition of stewardship is everything that happens after you say yes to Jesus. But, but for some reason, we've made stewardship really about the money that we give. And I want to be clear with you. Um, it's really about generosity. Um, now, uh, today's um, scripture passage, uh, very classic, very appropriate, very wonderful, you know, consider the lilies, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Wonderful words uh, for us to hear. Um, the title of the sermon, Money, uh, Debt, Work, and Debt, um, it, oftentimes at this point in a stewardship campaign, we start talking about uh, financial literacy, 
right? We want to uh, make sure that we offer a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, right? The idea out of seminary is that folk can't give unless they get their financial house in order. And so uh, over the years here at Chapelwood, we've offered various financial literacy workshops. And over um, the last five years, it feels like the attendance has just kind of gone down. So much so that the last time we offered it, there was zero people who were interested. I think that's interesting. I think as we go back to scripture today, what we might find is that the debt that we have is not really a debt that we carry financially, but rather I think that there is an opportunity for us to offer forgiveness of our debts to all around us. So a hard break here. If you're having a hard time following me, that's all right. Here we go. On Wednesday, August the 7th, 1974, people in lower Manhattan stopped in their tracks to watch a strange event in the sky. No, it's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's not even Superman. It was Philippe Petit, who was a Frenchman, who decided to walk between the World Trade Center towers, the twin towers of the old World Trade Center. Uh, Petit was a, a strange man. He was a, um, he was a street artist, uh, a street entertainer. Um, he loved to do children's um, pantomime uh, in Central Park. He loved to just stop in the middle of wherever he was and to offer joy uh, to whoever who was walking by. Um, he was a Frenchman who had fallen in love with New York City. So uh, Philippe decides that he's going to walk between the Twin Towers after being in a dentist's chair and seeing a brochure for the building of those Twin Towers. Um, uh, he decides very quickly, because he was a circus performer and loved this idea of walking the tightrope, that what, what more clear direction from God had he received, but that there were these two huge towers twin towers, that he could walk the tightrope between. Yeah, I know, you and I were thinking, this does not seem like a wise idea. But to Philippe, God had knit him together in this way. Now, Philippe was not a traditional artist in that he would get permits and let the uh, local authorities become aware of his pursuits. He'd walked between um, the Twin Towers of Notre Dame uh, in, uh, in Paris. He had um, done a number of things, all with subterfuge, all under the radar. So I just want you to think what type of movie you could write about how Philippe um, um, penetrates the Twin Towers, finds co-conspirators, shoots an arrow with fishing line across from one tower to the other tower, then climbs out a window of the other tower to find said arrow with fishing line attached to it, and over the course of weeks begins to pull across the divide between the two towers, ever heavier line until he has established a heavy duty uh, tightrope walking line. So he decides on the day, August the 7th, 1974, to be the day that he'll walk across the Twin Towers. And he decides he wants to do this, you know, before six or 7 a.m., if at all possible, because he didn't want construction workers to see him out there and then to call the police. 
Um, he was a little bit late. I don't know what type of um, uh, stereotypes you think about Frenchmen, but they probably all were active for Philippe. And so eventually by about nine or 10, um, he is walking across and he was worried that he wouldn't be able to walk across the tightrope um, quickly enough. He thought, surely the police will get me. But safe to say that he had walked eight times back and forth within 45 minutes. The man was wired for this daredevil experience. Um, now, uh, he eventually does get arrested, um, but there was such joy um, in uh, New York City at seeing this renegade Frenchman um, walk a tightrope between the Twin Towers that the judge gives him community service that if you'll just continue doing children's um, you know, uh, theater and programming uh, in Central Park, that he doesn't have to serve a day in jail. And it's said, uh, there's two movies made about Philippe. Um, one, um, uh, one writer writes about Philippe saying that, um, if anything, uh, he gave the Twin Towers their soul at that time when he walked across. Uh, that um, We tend to think of the Twin Towers in such an iconic way. Um, but up until that point, they were just office buildings. Um, and in some regard, Philippe's uh, interesting daredevil attempt to walk between the Twin Towers gives them such interesting meaning for New Yorkers. Now, I raise this because Jesus says no one can serve two masters. I like to think that many of us are walking that tight rope, not as skilled as Philippe is, that we're doing our best to balance between two masters, whether it's faith and money or whether it's expectations of people inside church, expectations of people outside church, that we are um, shouldering a burden as we walk to balance in between two masters. I'm really not a fan of balance. I really, really don't like it when um, people who are caring uh, people in my lives, people who are um, mental health, uh, people who are supervisors, people who, uh, who try to help me be a better person, they say, Peter, you just need balance. And I think, what? That the people who balance the best on the tightrope have a huge pole that they carry that gives them this ability to balance. And I think to myself, it is hard to walk that tightrope line because no one's ever given me a big pole to balance with either. I think the challenge here that Jesus is setting up for us is that we sometimes have to walk away from the line. We sometimes have to be willing to not serve two masters. Jesus says um, it pretty plainly in Scripture. He says, um, no one can serve two masters. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He doesn't say it's unwise. Um, he doesn't put a priority on which masters you should serve, but rather he just says flat out, no one can do it. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, folk ask me sometimes if demons still exist uh, in the world, and I say, yeah, you know, if Jesus thought they existed, and if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And so Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Jesus goes on to say that for you will hate the one and love the other or vice versa. So what an interesting thing for us to think how best 
to live a happy life, how best to um, work through all that the world has offered to us, that we might want to pick one master. Uh, I love the great philosopher Bob Dylan, um, who said in his uh, one Christian album, go to iTunes, it's there, um, the very famous uh, poetic lyric of you gotta serve somebody. Uh, it, I, I'm not gonna do the, the voice because I think, you know, um, I've probably gotten as low as I need to be at the moment, but um, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Jesus says you, no one can serve two masters. And if we recognize and agree with Jesus, then we also have to think, what does it mean for us not to be anxious about our lives? I believe scripture comes together um, in a pattern for a purpose. So if we cannot serve two masters and we choose to only serve one master, that also must be one way for us to lower our anxiety. And so Jesus goes on to say, why do you worry? Which I have a book that I could tell Jesus why I worry. Do you have a book about why you worry? I, um, I love um, people who say, calm down, as if it helps, right? When you're upset, calm down, right? Don't be anxious, don't worry. If I'm anxious and worrying, I'm not so sure that just you flat out telling me to calm down is gonna lower my blood pressure or lower my heart rate or make me suddenly feel like I'm calm. And so Jesus continues by saying, here are some reasons why you shouldn't be anxious, right? Um, consider the lilies, right? They neither toil nor spin, but God clothes them as beautiful as the king's clothes, Solomon, right? Um, this uh, lack of anxiety. Sometimes we think about Jesus talking more about us not being wealthy, um, but really he's not anti-money, He's anti-worry. And sometimes our pursuit of uh, money um, causes us to increase our worry and our anxiety. Because if you've got a little, you wanna get more. And if you've got more, you wanna get a lot. And if you get a lot, well, you wanna make sure you keep the lot. And if you wanna keep the lot, well, you gotta make more so that you can keep the lot. And then what do you do? Um, and you, if you pass on, now you've got a lot, and who should get it, and what does it look like? I think when Jesus says, consider the lilies, consider the birds of the air, he's not saying that we should uh, live in poverty, but rather we should be able to recognize that with more comes anxiety, and that Jesus is against anxiety. I could continue to tell you more as we walk through chapter six. Six is an amazing chapter for Jesus. Uh, Jesus in the beginning of chapter six tells us, um, when you pray and when you give money, don't tell people about it, which is fascinating. The role of privacy in the midst of our religious observances. Um, Jesus is teaching the disciples, forming them in many ways, in a countercultural way. 
Now this would be the point in the stewardship series where we would talk a little bit about budgets and about um, being good with our money and you know, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But really instead, I'd rather talk about um, the place uh, where churches have spent most of their time. Churches, we've spent most of our time telling people, don't act this way, instead act that way. And we've done such a good job of trying to create the world into this lily-white arrangement um, that there are right actions and wrong actions and that God is keeping score about our right actions and our wrong actions. And if we don't get the ledger just right and we have one more wrong action instead of right actions, we might find ourselves headed to a very fiery place, which really isn't based in the gospel in any place. When we talk about the God that we serve, we serve a God who is amazingly generous, amazingly forgiving, amazingly graceful. Now, uh, I'm a child of Star Wars, and I'm a young adult of Harry Potter, and um, I so badly want the world to function off of magic and the force But let's be honest, the way that God works isn't with magic or the force, but rather with grace, which is so much better. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor means you did nothing to get it, and you can't do anything to get rid of it. It's just the favor that somebody gives you. I was raised in a household where it was often said to me, Peter, I love you. I don't always like what you do, but I love you. And there's nothing that you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make me love you less. I just love you. This was a really important lesson for me because I can hear God's words coming through that as well. Church, I love you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I just love you. Sometimes though, I don't like what you do, right? And so when we think about um, what does the world need from the church, what the world needs from the church is to hear again and again that God is generous, that God is loving, that God is forgiving. These are the things that make a difference in people's lives, that message of generosity. Now, when I say that God is generous, um, God gave us everything that we have. All that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, Do you know where that language comes from? It comes from the Methodist wedding rite. You get a chance, pull out that book of worship someday. And the vow that is said between a bride and a groom is all that I have. And this is after the for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Gets all the way to the bottom. It says, all I have and all I am, I give to you as a gift. These really are the words that God says to us. All that you have and all that you are, I gave it to you, right? Um, uh, You can think about scripture, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave, right? Whether it's the, consider the lilies of the field or the birds of the air or the fact that our salvation was won by the love of a God who gave up his son for us. God is generous, And for me, when we realize that generosity, we come to a place of gratitude. 
you do know that one of the most healthy things that you can do for like emotional health is to write down or to tell somebody at the end of the day three things that you are grateful for at the end of each day. Three things that the act of gratitude begins to change our attitude. And when our attitude is changed, we begin to realize all this stuff that I have is a gift. How might I be generous to others? So you might wonder, Peter, why are you so far off script? I'll tell you why I'm so far off script, why we're not talking about John Wesley's great idea of earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Because last night for a while at Trunk or Treat, I stood at what I called the gate. This was the person that needed to kind of welcome people. And what I found is that people didn't want to go through the gate. Now, now we had yellow tape wrapped all around where the good stuff was. And we weren't trying to wall it off from people. We just knew there's a ton of cars coming through. Let's keep people safe. And so as families and groups had walked from the cars over towards the trunks, I'd wave them over, come on over, right? It's amazing when you welcome somebody, it's hard still to walk the other way. And so they walked over to me. And as they walked up, I said, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And they'd smile. And I said, I got one rule for you. And that smile would disappear. And I said, the only rule is don't wait in line. Zigzag, walk all the way you want to. Play this game, play that game. Find the candy and have a great evening. And also there's free hot dogs in the back. And as I started talking about finding the candy, that smile came back. And you know, when they left, they left through the gate and they said, thanks. And they walked on. Now, if you were here early on Saturday, you might have gotten emails or phone calls or voicemails asking about trunk or treat, right? We didn't do it last year, so people have totally forgotten how you do trunk or treat, right? So these are community members calling saying, is it okay if I wear a costume, and you fill in the blank, a werewolf, a, a Dracula, a zombie, a scary, right? Like we put rules, right? I mean... You know, you can only dress as a biblical figure, right? <laughs> Other questions that came through, do you charge to come through? Have you not been to Trunk or Treat, right? It's as if the world no longer offers anything for free. It's as if there's no longer any grace, that there's no longer any unmerited favor that the world gives anymore. I've always said that Halloween is the best evangelism opportunity that the church ever had because it's the only day that you can show up on someone's doorstep and say some words and somebody gives you a free gift. It's like that one moment when we act like neighbors still, you know? The other thing that was interesting was people asked the question, so at your trunk or treat, will the kids be able to get candy? No, we, we only press, pass out small um, copies of the New Testament and um, little vials of holy water blessed by yours truly. I mean, so we've laughed and that's great. I want you to think about how bizarre the world is. We said, 
Bring your kids and let us ooh and ah over their cool costumes. And we'll give you dinner, we'll give you games and entertainment, and we'll give you candy and a safe environment. And the moment we said there's a rule, they went, oh, right? Because, you know, I think most of the people in our community who don't go to church think that church is a bait and switch, right? Let's get you in the door. And then let's make you do what we think you should do. Friends, I just think what we need is not necessarily financial literacy anymore. What we really need is a recognition that the God that we serve gave us everything that we have. And that when you practice gratitude, it changes your attitude. And that change in attitude means that we become more generous. Um, And when we become more generous, we make a difference in our community make a difference in our world. And the sneaky little secret is making a difference in the world changes us in a beautiful way. So friends, we're in the midst of a stewardship, generosity, emphasis. I wonder tonight, what are you grateful for? And how might that transform your world? I think the world around us doesn't need financial literacy. What the world around us needs to hear is that we serve a God who loves and gives, and we want to be just like that God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.